Well, good morning again. Glad you guys are with us this morning. Whether you're here in the room or whether you're online, thank you for joining us. Uh, we started last week a new series just up on the screen called The Bible Doesn't Say That. We've been unpacking these phrases, statements that often we think are from the Bible, and we might tell each other, we might say them with the best of intentions, uh, but we often find out, and we're going to see as we go throughout the series, that many of the things that we often think are from the Bible, that God has directed to us, are actually not found in Scripture. And why does that matter? Because often they actually go against what God is trying to teach us in His Scriptures. We saw last week uh, with the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. Uh, that some of the dangers of that phrase, although there's a little bit of truth in almost all of these phrases that we're looking at in these sayings, in these, we might call them cliches that we share with each other. Uh, we saw last week that one of the issues that comes with that phrase, that God helps those who help themselves, is it fills us with pride in ourselves and apathy towards others. And we're going to continue to look at some of these phrases. And uh, today we're going to unpack the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't give you more than you can handle. Now, uh, I'm not going to make anybody raise their hand, but how many of you have heard somebody tell you that before? Yeah, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've said it, <laughs> but I've heard that said to me before, and I have actually said that to people. And we share that with each other often when people are going through their darkest moments, uh, maybe a death or a loss of a loved one or sometimes just struggling in life. And, and we mean well, right? We mean well with that. But we're going to see this morning how God won't give you more than you can handle. It's not only not in the Bible, but it actually is the opposite of what God is going to do in and through us. Uh, this phrase is really, really popular. I know that you've heard it before, but it's even so popular that one of the most famous pastors in America, Joel Osteen, posted this on his Facebook page. God will not give you more than you can handle. If you face a big challenge, you have a big destiny. I was really, you know, I, I got to try it. If you face a big challenge, you face a big destiny. Have you ever heard him talk? He closes his eyes and has got this... And, and I know that he means well, and he's trying to help us to understand that, you know what, no matter what you're going through, God is going to be with you, and that is true. But God never said, I won't give you more than you can handle. That, that Facebook thread, and it's also on Twitter, had, I think it was shared like 425,000 times or something. And there's all of these comments uh, with people that are not only, some are agreeing, some are saying, thank you for sharing that, really encourages me. But there's so many, I didn't read them all because there's hundreds of comments, but so many in there that said, this is hurting me because I feel overwhelmed. Because I believe that there's things that I'm going through right now that I can't handle. So what are the problems with that phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle? See, if God won't give you more than you can handle and you're not handling it, what does that say about you? How does that make you feel? We start to question ourselves with questions like, what's wrong with me? That I'm not supposed to feel this way, that I'm not supposed to feel overwhelmed. I don't feel like I can handle this, but if God won't give me more than I can handle, how come I can't handle it? What's wrong with me? Maybe we think, we're too weak. I just don't have enough faith. If I would just do more good things, if I would just read my Bible more, if I would just pray harder, if I would go to church more, all of those things are good things, right? But they don't help us in that moment. 
They're not the antidote to feeling overwhelmed. Maybe we think there's some sin in my life, and guess what? Newsflash, there is. But the sin in your life is not the only thing that might make you be feeling overwhelmed. If you ever read the book of Job, you know that Job was following after God, and his friend said, just curse God and die. What have you done what secret sin is in your life that makes you feel like this, that all these terrible things are happening to you? So if God doesn't give you more than you can handle and you're not handling it, what does that say about you? And if God doesn't give you more than you can handle and you're not handling it, what does it say about God? We start to question God. He must not love me like he loves the person next to me. I, I must not be good enough. You're not. We learned that last week, but it leads to saying he must not care. I'm feeling overwhelmed. There's so much junk in my life that's happened to me. And some of these things probably I brought on myself, but others I haven't. And so God, I feel like I can't handle this. So you must not care. You must not love me. And then that leads us even down a darker path to maybe he isn't there at all. Because I was told that God won't give me more than I can handle, and I can't handle this, so God must not be here. Maybe he isn't real. Or if he is, he doesn't have anything to do with me. So if we're not supposed to be overwhelmed, that's really what that phrase tells us, and if God won't give us more than we can handle, how do we feel about ourselves and about God when we do feel overwhelmed? Because here's the truth you will be overwhelmed. You might currently be overwhelmed. The truth is we're often overwhelmed. I'm often overwhelmed. You might have heard this phrase before that you're either coming out of a difficult season, you're in a difficult season, or you're about to be in a difficult season. We will all feel overwhelmed. And if you're in a place right now where you said, I just can't handle one more thing, how many of you felt that way before? You just can't handle one more thing. Guess what's coming? One more thing. <laughs> so where does this phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, come from? No one knows originally who originated that. You can't Google and find out where this exactly came from. But I believe it's a misrepresentation and a misinterpretation of a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you want to turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 13. It says, And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. He will not allow the temptation to be more than than you can stand. You say, well, that doesn't say the same thing as God won't give me more than I can handle. But I, I believe that this misinterpretation of this comes from a misunderstanding of this verse. Uh, the Greek word here for temptation is parazao. And that actually has a number of different meanings. It can mean trials. It can mean temptations. It can mean tests. It has different different understanding, a different connotation depending on how it's used. Because just like in real life, in the Bible, context matters, right? I mean, think about this. If I say, I'll put a seal on it, what can it mean? It can mean this, put a seal on it. 
It can also mean put a seal on it. Or I could say, if you know uh, some 90s pop stars, put a seal on it. <laughs> the same phrase means three different things depending on the context that I'm talking about, right? How about another one? How many of you have said, my dogs are barking? Well, if you have some dogs, it means your dogs are barking. Or if you're a fan of The Office, you might be referring to the scene where Kevin Malone puts his feet into an ice cooler because he says, my dogs are barking. Context matters. The same word can mean different things. And so I, I think that the misunderstanding of this passage comes from that, of translating this, he will not allow maybe the trials to be more than you can stand. But if you look at the context of this verse, context, the words around it, the things that Paul is talking about in here, we see clear as day he's talking about temptation. He's talking about the idolatry in our lives, the things that we do that put God lower than other things, the things that we're chasing after. He talks about sexual morality and lust and all of these different things that we're tempted with. So he says he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Let's read some of the verses around it. It says, if you, are think, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptation in your life are no different from, the other, from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand, more than you can handle, more than you can bear. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. See, this passage isn't talking about situations or suffering in your life. It's talking about temptation. There's a difference between temptation and suffering. And what Paul is saying here is that God will not allow you to be tempted, to face temptation that you can't overcome. You don't have to choose ever. God will never put you in a situation where you have to choose to sin. See, the sin that's in our life isn't the temptation. The sin is when we give in to the temptation. So this package isn't, or passage isn't, talking, isn't God talking about us not being overwhelmed. It's about God never putting you into a situation where you have to choose sin. God won't give you a situation where you have to choose to sin. He will always provide a way out. Because the truth is, God will allow you to face more than you can handle. And feeling overwhelmed is not an indicator that something is wrong with you. Uh, there are countless examples in the Bible of people who were following after God who felt overwhelmed. Just a few of them. Moses in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers. He's leading the Israelite people, and he says, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? He's talking to God. Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you let me carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? He's trying to feed these people. They keep whining to me, saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. Is this how you intend to treat me? Just go ahead and kill me. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Do you think Moses feels overwhelmed? <laughs> 
How many of you have felt that way before? How many of you have said maybe something very similar to that? Dealing with your kids, or your spouse, or your job, or your health, your finances, feeling overwhelmed. And the great thing is, if you know the story of Moses, uh, God didn't leave him in that moment. He raised up elders to help care for the people. We see a few chapters later, the Israelites versus the Amalekites, this great battle is happening, and Moses is supposed to hold up his arms. And as long as he holds up his arms, the Israelites are winning, and he gets tired. He's overwhelmed. And God sends Aaron and Nun to help him to hold up his arms. Moses felt overwhelmed. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says this, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. Paul was overwhelmed. Jesus himself, often overwhelmed by the crowds, had to withdraw. So why do we feel overwhelmed? Now, sometimes we're overwhelmed because of our sin. It's just a fact. We don't want to hear it. But oftentimes, the overwhelming feelings that we have, the things that are weighing down on us, that have come crashing in, that make you feel overwhelmed, we caused them. Our sin. In Psalm 38, David says this, My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I'm bent over and racked with pain. All day long I walk around filled with grief. A raging fever burns within me and my health is broken. I'm exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. Now if you know anything about David, he had some terrible decisions that he made in his life that led him to feel overwhelmed. He was overwhelmed because of his sin. And we're overwhelmed often because of our bad choices. And we're feeling financially overwhelmed because of the debt that we chose to get in, the mistakes that we made in relationships that are now broken. We're often overwhelmed because of our own sin. But sometimes we're overwhelmed because of others' sin. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus, feeling overwhelmed, the sinless one, as Jason shared with us this morning, took all those sins, our sins, upon himself and was overwhelmed because of those sins. You don't think Jesus was overwhelmed? Let's read Mark 14, 33. He took Peter, James, and John with him and he became deeply troubled and distressed. And he told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Jesus was overwhelmed. Sometimes we're overwhelmed because of the choices of others. And sometimes we're overwhelmed because God wants us to learn to depend on him. Sometimes it's not our bad choices. It's not others' bad choices. We feel overwhelmed because God wants us to learn something. 
to learn to depend more on him. And so he allows us to experience more than we can handle. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. 2 Corinthians 12, he says, So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I took pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If you know anything about 2 Corinthians, it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He's been having this relationship, this ongoing relationship with them. And in this letter, Paul is addressing some trouble that's going on in this church. There's leaders and teachers in the church who have been leading the church down a bad path. They had great resumes. They had everything looked like it was going well with these guys. They had their lives together. They were impressive. They had answers to all the right questions. But they were saying that Paul couldn't possibly be the man of God that he was because he wasn't impressive enough. And look at all of the junk that's happened to him. And God won't give us more than we can handle, so something must be wrong with that guy. What are these weaknesses that Paul is talking about here? Paul isn't saying that the power of Christ is made perfect in his bad choices. I think sometimes that this passage that, that when I am weak, then he is strong, God's power is made perfect in my weakness is used as an excuse for us to sin, right? We want to show off God. So Romans 6.1 tells us, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. Of course not. We don't want more sin in our life so that more grace can abound. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul's talking about things that are beyond our control. Not the choices, not the bad choices that he has made. Not even the bad choices that others have made. Now scholars debate what this thorn in the flesh that Paul is talking about was. Some say it was a physical ailment. Maybe blindness or a disfigurement. And that makes some sense given the rest of the story there. But we don't really know what it is. Maybe it was something that he was inadequate in, a way that he wasn't as impressive as those around him, a way that he didn't measure up. I mean, once again, if he was really this powerful man of God, why couldn't he deal with whatever this thorn was? Maybe it was something physical, maybe it was something mental, maybe it was something health-related. Maybe it was something related to his capacity. We don't really know. And honestly, I think there's a reason that Paul doesn't tell us. He's vague on purpose. Because if we knew exactly what Paul was talking about, we'd be tempted to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. Or we discount it. Say, well, I don't have that problem. Or I'm not that weak. Or wow, he has it really bad. I don't have it like that. Or eh, at least I don't have it as bad as Paul. Because that's what we do when we're working to be self-sufficient. We talked about self-sufficiency last week. 
We're tempted to compare. How do we compare to those around us? Do we have it better or worse than them? We try to judge even our relationship with God based on what's happening to the people around us. These bad things are happening to me and not to them, so they must be a little closer to Jesus. Or the other way around. Do we have more weaknesses or different weaknesses? And that leads us down a path of self-contempt saying, I must be doing something wrong. Is my life better or worse? And so I think Paul, he doesn't tell us what this thorn in the flesh is, but he says, this is something serious. How do we know that? We know that because we can see the other things in Scripture that Paul's had to endure. Prison, being shipwrecked, attempted murder, all of these horrible things. And he says, I was given this thorn in the flesh. This thing that just would not go away that was overwhelming me. So let me ask you this morning, what's your thorn? What's your weakness? What in your life is something that's plaguing you? It drains you. It discourages you. You feel defeated because it is often defeating you. What's your thorn? Paul's thorn, even though we don't know what it was, it had a purpose. He said it was given to him to keep him from becoming conceited. Pride. The same thing we talked about last week. And also we know that it was given to him by God. God gave him more than he could handle. Think about this. This thorn, this weakness of Paul was given to him to keep him humble. Does that sound like something Satan would want us to be? Humble. No. God gave him this thorn to keep him humble. See, Satan is fueled by us thinking too highly of ourselves, that we can go it alone, that we've got this. Satan himself is full of pride. God gave Paul this thorn. God gave him more than he could handle. I was reading a commentary that said, it's interesting the word that's used here, to think of this as being given to him not put on him, not forced on him, because what are we usually given in life? Gifts, right? We're given gifts. We don't usually choose what we get. Something to think about, a little side there. Spurgeon called this thorn sacred medicine. I love that, sacred medicine. something that's excruciating, painful, and chronic. Paul had to deal with it over and over again. He says, I prayed for this to be taken away, but it was his sacred medicine to remind him that he must rely on God and God alone. Paul was given this thorn, this weakness, to keep him humble as medicine to keep him healthy. This weakness doesn't say that something must be wrong with Paul. He must have some secret sin in his life. He must not be trying hard enough. This is Paul we're talking about. He's saying, I couldn't handle this. I was given this. Other people are saying, you're not enough. Or you'd be able to handle these problems in your life. And this thorn reminds Paul it's not his strength. Now, let me make sure that we're clear about a couple things. 
I'm not saying, and Paul is certainly not saying, that every bad thing that happens to you in your life is God trying to teach you something. That every suffering that you've experienced in your life is a lesson. There can be lessons in them, but that's not what's going on here. But we can see here that sometimes uses pain, physical or otherwise, to accomplish his purposes. Just read the story of Job. God doesn't wish or want us to suffer. That was never God's intention. But his ways are not our ways. And anyone who tries to explain to you that everything bad that's happened in your life is because of your bad choices is trying to sell you something. Or that all the suffering in the world is God trying to just get revenge on us or show us his power. But we won't, on this side of eternity, fully understand why some things happen. A loss of a child. Genocide that's happened throughout history. Debilitating diseases. Relationships, marriages, families broken. It can't all be explained as God trying to do something to us. But sometimes we're overwhelmed because God wants us to learn to depend on him. Paul says the thorn was given to him, and he calls it a messenger of Satan. So even though we don't know what it is, we know what it's doing to Paul. It's sending him a message. It's feeding him lies. The same kind of lies that we're fed by our weaknesses, by the struggles that we go through. You're not one that God could love. You aren't fill in the blank whatever it is. You can't do it. You're not worth it. Paul says he pleaded three times to get rid of this. He said, God, take it away. And no doubt he asked the same question that we ask when we're faced with weaknesses, challenges. God, why? What's the point in all this? And it's okay to pray and ask God to take those things away, to remove our weaknesses or to change our situations. But sometimes the answer is no. And God didn't give Paul explanations. God didn't give Paul explanations. So if we quit focusing, what if this? What if we quit focusing our attention on the pain and began to appreciate the thorn? God didn't change Paul's situation by removing his thorn. He changed it by adding something to the equation. His grace. We read this each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. God didn't give Paul an explanation, but he did give him a promise. I love the way that John Hughes says this. He says, The spiritual math is never my weakness plus his strength equals my power. It's this. It's my weakness plus his strength is his power. My weakness plus his strength is his power. His grace is sufficient. Now, this word sufficient in your Bible, uh, it's a tricky word because when we say sufficient, it sounds like it's just barely enough. 
right? When I, when I would tell, uh, you know, my kids wanted to clean their room, come and dad, check my room, it's sufficient. That means it just barely made it, right? That's not what this word means here. I love the way that the NLT translates it. My grace is all that you need. It's everything. It's not just barely enough to get you by. It's all you need. It's more than enough. My power is made perfect in your weakness. You can have your power, but wouldn't you rather have his? You can do it by yourself, and you will feel overwhelmed, and you'll be lost in that moment. But who is the my in this verse? My grace. Not mine, right? Not my power. It's Jesus, God's power. Now, I know this is tough. I don't claim to have all the answers for all your questions. There are people even in this room saying, well, what about my cancer? What about my marriage that fell apart? What about this pain that won't go away, physical or otherwise? What about my financial situation? What about my depression? What about my relationship with my family? Are all of these God's way of teaching me to be strong in Him? And I can't answer that for you. But I can tell you that God will use them to help grow you if you let Him. You can try to go through the pain on your own. You can be good, you can be strong, and you may be able to endure to handle it for a little while, or you may not. But you'd be missing out on His power. I've often talked with people who have lost a loved one, and they'll, there's this common denominator sentence that's said in every situation. Those who believe and follow Jesus, they always say something like this, I don't know how people could go through this without Jesus. Some of you might have felt that way before, when you're feeling overwhelmed with whatever it might be. Because there's something about His power that reminds us and enables us to handle it. So there's the truth in that statement. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. If you think about it, the ultimate example of strength in weakness was on the cross. In 2 Corinthians 13, 4, we read this. Although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. We too are weak just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, we will be alive with him and will have God's power. The cross was the ultimate symbol of shame, unworthiness, of weakness. Yet it was through the cross that Jesus demonstrated the strength to defeat sin, to conquer the grave. So the phrase shouldn't be, God won't give you more than you can handle. The phrase should really be, God won't give you more than he can handle. God won't give you more than he can handle. Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest in me. Uh, this, this phrase, rest in me, means to take possession, to take over my life. We talked this morning at the beginning of service about the Holy Spirit being within us. That power of Christ is in us. It's not our strength, it's His strength. 
His power within us. It's the same word that's used in John chapter 1 to describe Jesus coming down to earth. That scripture we use often at Christmas, that the word became flesh and dwelt, lived among us. Emmanuel, God with us, God in us. In a moment, we're going to sing a song, and this song has an amazing truth to it. It's in many ways quoting the scripture we just read, that he is all that we need. He is all that we need. Our one defense, our righteousness. God, how I need you. We recognize that God will give us more than we can handle, that we will be faced with things we can't handle but in and through Jesus Christ and his power, we have all that we need. Let's stand together, pray. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that your strength, your power is made complete in our weaknesses. God, for those that are in this room that do feel overwhelmed, that feel like there are things in life that they just can't handle, help us to know they are not alone. The people beside them are walking through this with them. That we as a church can walk through this with them. But Lord, you are walking through this with them. That you are all that we need. Lord, we need you. The only thing that we really need is your strength and your power. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.